0: For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Here ends the reading. It is certainly a a blessing to be with you in this wonderful, gifted, grace-filled congregation. Uh, this weekend i 've enjoyed myself so much, and uh, you are a well loved congregation, and uh, you are missional. Uh, your advertisement in my mind did not oversell not a bit. I want to before I read our passage passage this morning, the call to worship was psalm one forty five right? And right after we finish reading, it says this, because this is the theme of what we're going to look at this morning. One generation shall lodge your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall lodge your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Well, our passage today in Deuteronomy 6 if you'll open your Bibles to that, is all about that. How one generation can laud the greatness of the Lord to the next generation. And so, here the word of the Lord Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the ordinances. That the Lord your God charged me, me being Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy. Deuteronomy is the second law, and so it's a summary of the, really the uh, Exodus and Leviticus. You're about to cross into uh, and occupy so that you and your children and your children's children May fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently so that it may go well with you and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your, so- with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. I want to talk about the importance of multi-generational communities of worship. And we are a multi-generational community today. There are some folks in here that are older than I am. Thank you so much for doing that just for me. And there are certainly lots of uh, young people in in the congregation today. Uh, who are about the age of some of my grandchildren, so we're, we're getting there. But I want our younger listeners today, the children uh, in our midst, are you ready? Are you paying attention? I want you to listen for a word that I'm going to say a lot during this long part of the service, during the sermon, all right? Now here's the word, and it's going to be a little bit weird because the word is The word. I want you to listen for the word, the word, and the word that's being referred to when I say the word or God's word or anything like that is what? The Bible, right? That's the scripture. And this whole passage is about how important it is for one generation to laud thy greatness to the next, and we can only do that through God's word. All right. Now, what I'm going to do when I leave with um, Pastor Howard is, you know, we're going to walk down and then, you know, we shake hands out there. And I want all the children in the congregation to tell me how many times I say the word, word. All right? Now, you can start right now. Okay? Word. All right? Here we go. Francis Schaeffer wrote in his book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, he had a good word for the 21st century. And he wrote this The first thing the Christian community should do is to stand as a community in a living, existential, moment by moment relationship to God. Stand in awe and worship, waiting before God. Only after the vertical relationship is established are we ready to have a horizontal relationship and a proper Christian community. The Christian faith happens in a community. A multi-generational community. Because faith is not private. Our relationship with Jesus baptizes us into his body. And we learn together from our very first baptismal moment until the time of our own funeral. What it means to hear the Lord, obey the Lord's word, and to glorify the Lord. Our home and our families need the family of faith to raise our children to know and love the Lord. Because as you very well know, there are no perfect parents and not all parents have all the gifts. So it does take a village, it does take a congregation to invest into uh, the next generation of God's disciples. The community of faith needs to be an intergenerational community. Why is this? Because the scriptures of both the Old and New Testament Picture the people of God every time, without exception, as an intergenerational community. Men, women, children in worship, in prayer, as they heard the prophets, as they faced down enemies at war, as they learned lessons, as they contributed to God's kingdom. Jesus himself made children an object lesson for faith, and not just an object lesson, but the central illustration of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. He refused to have the praise or disturbances of children hushed up. He didn't send them away from his teaching time, but included them, and he blessed them. Jesus wanted his first followers, and by extension, Jesus wants us, to remember why children need to belong to the entirety of this congregation, to even stay in the sanctuary of Big People's Church to participate in the mission of the church, and to learn the scripture as a member of the family of faith. Jesus knew that it takes a whole church to partner with parents in raising up the next generation of God's people. And it always it's always good to remember that the first followers of Jesus in the New Testament were all Jewish, and they knew this passage in in Deuteronomy 6, Like the back of their hand. In fact, some of them had it on the back of their hand. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And in fact, if you've heard of something called the great Shema of Israel, the word Shema in Hebrew is the word hear. Hear, O Israel. Well, we know in the New Testament that Paul was a good Jewish boy, wasn't he? who got surprised by the God of Israel on his way to Damascus and became a follower of the risen, uh, crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. But he was Jewish from beginning to end because he grew into his real Judaism when he met the Messiah of Israel in the person of Jesus Christ. He knew the Shema. And Paul is so good at writing 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament because he already knew God's word and it began to make more sense to him in the light of Jesus. So, is it any wonder that in his greatest book, the book of Romans, Paul writes this Faith, finish the sentence for me. Faith comes by hearing. Hear, O Israel. And what do we hear? The word of the Lord. So the centrality of Scripture in this congregation is in fact by the Spirit the source of your strength, your mission, and the structure of your worship service. And these are things that must be passed on to the next generation of believers. From this Scripture concerning the word we are to hear. It's clear that what we have to learn takes a lifetime. That's why the scripture, none of us ever master the scripture. Never, none of us are ever over the word of God. We are always under the word of God. Why is it in a congregation like this with very fine, intelligent, and highly literate people, we read the word of God out loud? Why is it that Pastor Howard doesn't, or whoever's preaching, doesn't stand in the pulpit and say, today we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 1 through 9. Go ahead and read that. Give me a sign when you've finished. <laughs> Why not? Y'all can read it. And y'all better have brought your Bibles. All right? No, we hear the word of the Lord because faith comes by hearing. And it's one way that we hold each other accountable for the word that we just heard. And it's God's word, not my word, not Pastor Howard's word. It's God's word. And we have heard it together. And therefore, we're freed to hold each other accountable for what we've heard. You heard it. How does this then shape our lives? And God does want all that we have. In the Old Testament, here in our passage today, uh, you will uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Do you see that? Verse 4. Now Jesus, because he's Jesus and he's the only one that can do that, he adds something to God's word in the New Testament. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, and why is that? because he's preaching in Aramaic, he's preaching maybe in uh, and, and all the Hebrews that he was speaking to in the day that he taught. they all used a Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and so the Word of God they knew was in Greek. Hebrew was only functional in the in the time of the New Testament, sort of as an at home. Uh, sometimes um, religious service in the temple, and very few people knew Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word soul, which we read here in our Deuteronomy 6 passage, included the mind automatically. The mind was included in, in the Hebrew word for soul, and so there was no division between soul and mind. In fact, Soul uh, was a created thing. People were born with a soul and it included everything that really made you human save for the body, our emotion, mind, and will. Greek was different. When the Greeks used the word for soul, it didn't include the mind. They were beginning to bifurcate the human person into all kinds of compartments. So for his hearers to understand the word of God in the day that Jesus preached Deuteronomy 6, he says, you know the commandment. It's number one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because his hearers wouldn't naturally include the mind in that. Now, as a Bible teacher and as a university professor, I'm so glad Jesus added that. Because very often we think that Faith doesn't have anything to do with rationality or the mind, but it does. And we must be vigorous in the use of our mind, heart, soul, and will, all of it, as we engage the word of God, which is the scripture of God, in order to keep the first commandment. And this is what he's talking about here. And that you don't just pick that up. It has to go from one generation to the next. And that's the bulk of our passage Keeping the word of the Lord, verse 6, keep these words, you see that right after heart, soul, mind, see verse 6, keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart and recite them to your children, talk about them, bind them, fix them, write them, he goes on and on and on, but he says you've got to pass this along, you must teach your children these things. They need to be involved in learning what it means to love the Lord with all that you are. It's very clear from these verses that God has no grandchildren. He must convert every generation by the work of his spirit through the grace of Jesus Christ to his own self. We can't, and this is bad news for your parents because I know, we sort of always wish that we could be the Holy Spirit in our children's lives. Boy, Lord, you let me be the Holy Spirit five minutes with this one. I'll straighten him out. You seem to be taking a long time. But the Lord never gives up his own job. He is the converter of souls and the saver of lives. Not parents. Not even church educators. Not even pastors. We can tell our children about faith, but we cannot transfer faith to our children They must hear, believe, surrender, and obey by their personal faith in what they have heard and learned through the Spirit of God and all that the Spirit can work with is the Scripture, the Word, the Word, the Word of God. Rebirth does not happen by parental will, but by the will of God of becoming a reality in the life of our children. And Reformed believers believe that vigorously. An emphasis of the 1993 InterVarsity Urban Missions Conference had about 20,000 students that gathered, and it was focused in that uh, year on the needs, care, and evangelization of children. I was there. It was an absolutely marvelous time, about 20,000 students from all over the world learning how to focus on the nurture of children as disciples of Jesus Christ. And what we learned as a part of that conference is 80% of all believers testify that they became believers as children. If you became a believer before you were 13 years of age, you don't have to because we're Presbyterians, but you can raise your hand. And about 80% of us came to Christ. Why? Because God is faithful. He is faithful to take his word in the midst of a congregation in a variety of ways and begin to mold and call children to themselves. Well, what are we given to do since we can't save our children What is the advice that this passage gives us about being a congregation and being parents and grandparents and extended parents, I know we have foster families here, of children that we want God to be at work in that they might know the Lord. Verse six, it says, keep God's word in your heart. And this is an issue of integrity. Don't just keep God's word on your lips. We have to keep, God's word in our heart or the whole of our lives in our vernacular parents, grandparents, congregation whoever you are you gotta walk the talk we gotta walk the talk because children believe what they see as well as what they hear and the less dissonance there is between what you tell them and how you conduct your life matters to children they know what you really believe despite what you say if you don't act like you believe it one illustration I think that is key in our culture is our lack of panic over anything that's going on in the world we can be prayerful we can certainly have mission to different things we can speak into the culture as we know it but we are simply known as the people who don't panic why because God is God and we are not he is on the throne and it doesn't matter who ends up in a certain oval office not really not in the long run. When we live in Amarillo, you live in Amarillo. Boomtown. Back in the day, right? A town that obviously very still struggles to meet a new kind of world with limited resources and never enough rain. So here we are, and God is God and we are not. So do we pray or panic? Do our children see us trust the Lord, not just with our mouth? But because before they pay the bills and we invite children to understand this is how we pay the bills, they see us pray over our finances and not panic over them. I think one of the strongest witnesses that people of faith can have in the world as we know it today, and it is a messy, messy world, is what Paul learned, and he said it was a secret, He'd learned the secret of being content. In a sea of complaint, be the person that gives thanks. In a world of panic and fear, be the person who demonstrates your confidence in the sovereignty of God. He is on the throne. He will not be dethroned. And we are the people that believe in that day of days that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to live lives that act like that is true and not just a Bible verse. And that's our challenge. And that's what Deuteronomy means. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Really believe what you believe and act on that. And then for your children, recite them to your children. We need to teach our children the scripture. They need to be in Sunday school without fail every Sunday. They need to participate in your home Bible studies as they are able. They need to memorize the word of God. Um, they and, and this is just... The walls of your church are plastered in a variety of ways with God's word. This church is even without speaking a word, it's just full of the word, and you can see it everywhere. This is something to be valued and appreciated. And to recite God's word to our children, to memorize scripture together with our kids, put it to music. It's much easier. You know, I'm an old person, it's hard for me to memorize anything nowadays. And But if I put it to music, I've got a bigger shot about doing it. And I think that the music in, in, in a worship service, be vigorous about your lyrics. Absolutely vigorous about your lyrics. If they, if they don't square with scripture, change the lyrics. Make sure it matches. Make sure it's, it's true and faithful uh, to God's word. Because very often children, as well as the rest of us, lay people really learn their theology through what we sing and some of it can get pretty crazy if we don't love the lord our god with all our heart soul mind think about what you're singing is it true and if it's uh true then sing it loudly sing it well sing it with great joy so we need to recite god's word to our children and very often that is through music And I think that we have to remember that we don't ever remember what we never learned, what we've never heard. And so we have to be intentional as parents and church educators in helping children learn that the word is vital for the informationally jammed kids of today. And we also have to resist the temptations that surround us in our culture to make worship entertainment, to make education entertainment. And to, you know, the biggest goal in life is to walk out happy. Isaiah did not walk out happy in Isaiah 6. In fact, in the middle of God's word to him, he raised his hand and he said, "I got one question, Lord, because it was bad. I, I'm glad it was Isaiah, and not me. I mean, if you look at the prophecy on Isaiah, it was, "I'm inviting you to a failed ministry." That was the call in Isaiah 6. And so Isaiah raises his hand. God says, yes, what is it? And he goes, how long, oh Lord? How long do I have to speak to people who won't hear or have stiff necks? I said in Sunday school class today, the scripture is the most honest book you'll ever read. It doesn't short sheet our sin. It doesn't underpose the sovereignty of our God, underwhelm the sovereignty of our God. But it deals with real life as it is. And real life is honest and ugly and challenging. And this is the world and the God that our children need to know. Because this is the world that they're going to grow up in. And they need to know that our God is big. And he is on the throne, even in the world in which we find ourselves in today. So keep God's word in your heart, recite God's word to your children, and for heaven's sakes, verse 7, talk about God's word. This is where we become theologians. In other words, we need to talk about God's word. It's one thing to say Jesus is Lord, and it's another thing to understand that that was an absolutely countercultural movement when Paul wrote the word. He was standing up to every other pretend kingdom in the world, and he's saying, no, there's only one throne, and Jesus is on it. And he alone is Lord. And so that we talk about what the word means. We study the word. um, We ask questions about the word. We grow in our knowledge of the word throughout our life. I find Philippians 1, 6 to be highly comforting. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Until you breathe your last breath and you are either at your own memorial service or whatever, you need to study the scripture and know the scripture and ask questions about the scripture and talk about the scripture and always never, ever believe that we master the scripture. It masters us and that it takes a lifetime. You won't be done with Bible study or worship or the Christian life until your last breath and you find yourself at home. It's one thing to talk about a sword drill in the church uh, in you know, a youth group or something. It's another thing to equip the youth in this church to enter into a bigoted and racist conversation in the ha- hallways of their high school and have them speak the word of the Lord and to diffuse a situation and to risk doing so even at their own loss. That's what it means about talking about the word. Well, how do we do that? How do we surround our children? Well, we bind, we fix, we write, verses eight and nine. (coughs) We bind God's word on our hands. We allow children to be, it's different how we do this today. Israel did it literally. But we have the Holy Spirit. So we, we help children engage the word of God with their hands. They are involved in the ministry of the church. They visit old people. They go on hospital visits where that's appropriate. They learn about who's sick in the congregation. And at home, you pray with your children about Miss Nellie, uh, who needs prayer. We fix God's word on our foreheads. Again, we think about, we ask our kids, what do you think about this? How do you see this in the world? We watch TV in the light of God's word. We mute the TV, install it when we hear something that's just ridiculous or a laugh track that laughs at something that if it were in the real world would not be funny. And we ask them, what do you think about that? If Jesus were sitting here on the couch with us right now, what do you think Jesus would say to that young man who just spoke that way to his parents? What do you think about that? That's what it means. Fix it on your forehead. Think through what the scripture is really saying. And write them on the doorposts of our house We become theological people when we think through God's word. And this is so important. I'll close with one story. When my best friend's husband died in a plane crash in the Gulf of Alaska years ago, uh, he was a missionary with seven other missionaries on this plane, and they all perished. And our college friends sent me money so that I could fly to Alaska to be... Uh, with my friend Pam in her sorrow at the loss of her husband. And I noticed as we drove across New Orleans on our way to the airport that my little chatterbox Scott, who was five years old, was not saying a word. And when that was a signal to me. I knew this child well. When he clams down, that means something's bothering him. And the clueless mother that I was at the time turned around and I said, Scott, are you okay? You feeling okay? Because I'm leaving town, right? That's when he's going to get sick. And I turned around and I said, What's, Is something bothering you, sweetheart? And he looked at me and he said, Mama, how big is your plane that you're flying to Alaska? I mean, he had entered into the sorrow of our household over the death of our friend who died in a plane crash. And now Mama's getting on a plane and flying to Alaska. Hello, connect the dots, parent. So I said this in a very cavalier way, Oh, honey, Mama's going to be okay. Mama's plane is big. Jesus is with Mama. And my little five-year-old theologian looked me straight in the eye and very quietly said, Well, Mama, Jesus was with those missionaries too. And he was right. How dare I soothe his little soul with a non-biblical parental platitude? The call is to do the work of God, live or die, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and life, if that's what it takes, while we do the right thing that we know God has asked us to do. So we talked all the way to the airport about what it meant to know and to be, to do and to obey the word of the Lord, and how it doesn't have guarantees of success, Allah Isaiah, And it doesn't have guarantees of that everybody will like it. We know that really well. But when we do and know and love the word of the Lord, generation to generation, we have pleased God. Hear, O Israel, learn, teach, recite, memorize over and over again, generation to generation then we will be a community of God's people able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. In spirit, because we are depending upon the Lord and his spirit and not our programs. And in truth, because that's the scripture. Thanks for having me. thrilled to tell you that we have one of our own with us today who has been a amid-